and welcome back to another special edition of the McGregor Podcast. Recently on a Wednesday night, as part of our Journey Together ministry, we hosted a hot topic night with Pastor Russell Howard leading. The topic, worry. As you can imagine, it was a pretty hot topic. Well, the title of Pastor Russell's teaching that night was Thinking Biblically About Worry. And before we get into part two of this series, I have Pastor Russell joining me again in the studio. So welcome back. Hi, Brother Mark. Hey, uh, you mentioned at the beginning of part one that you don't struggle a lot with this area of worry in your life, but I have a feeling there must be at least a few things that you worry about. Is there anything that, that does kind of rise to the, the point of worry? I think so. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you're... you're um Worry is a bad idea because the Savior says not to do it. I mean, there we go. We, we could just preempt a whole lot of podcast minutes. Yeah. But um, I, uh, you, know, you worry about your medical future the older you get, and you, you wonder, you know, uh, someone who does what, what we do for a living, which a lot, of it, a lot of which involves talking and thinking, you wonder what would happen if, if those capacities went uh, before right. you're ready to go, yeah, yeah. And, and and I don't lay awake at night and consider, you know, but that would be something that I, I don't know that I'm going to come to the end of my vocational path with all that intact. I really hope I do. When you've got a, you know, uh, my my one son lives here in town, but he's across town. My other son and his family live up in Orlando, and I don't know what's going on in every moment of their lives. And so I pray for them a lot and mm. have to deal with the fact that I don't know the moment by moment. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, again, I, it's, not, it's not that I fret over those things. I, I really, Mark, I really just don't fret. Again, I got a host of other issues. Uh, <laughs> I'm certainly not claiming to have arrived at personal sanctification, but but for whatever reason, this is just not an area where I greatly struggle. When we ended uh, part one with your statement, can we please have a fun essential? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm going to assume that the vast majority of people that are listening to part two, this episode, they've already listened to part one. And yeah. you kind of left us with a little bit of a cliffhanger there that uh, so far up to part uh, essential truth one, essential truth two, and essential truth three had left you feeling a little... Gloomy. Yeah. Um, part of part of I think we what we have to reckon with when we think biblically about worry is if you're if you're concerned about maybe just maybe something you're not going to like is going to happen to you maybe soon. I think it's helpful to go ahead and just admit to yourself. Yeah, it is. It's In fact, happen. you have no reason to think it won't. And if you're outside of Christ. It's going to be way worse than anything you've ever imagined. Going ahead and dealing with that honestly, internally. Now, the, the problem with that, as I said when I was, was teaching this stuff, is, is camping there uh, c- can evoke a gloomy response. There are some glorious things that are a, a bit more um, enjoyable to affirm that are coming right up. Well, with that in mind, we won't let you keep teaching here. We'll let we'll join you uh, back into your teaching on that Wednesday night. So uh, join us now for part two of Thinking Biblically About Worry. Essential truth number four. In the event you're feeling gloomy, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. God 
is trustworthy. There's so many. I could, I could, I could spend the rest of the evening. But I just, I sat there with my legal pad doodling. What are some of the ways in which he's trustworthy? He is trustworthy to reveal his will. He is trustworthy to reveal his will. I've, uh, I've, I've put several scriptures there that actually use very direct terminology to express this idea. 1 Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. See, the ignorant, foolish people out there are saying that, that this place and this body of believers is nothing but a swarming nest of hypocrisy. And we're not guilty of that. We are not guilty of that. But there have been enough instances where people who claim Christ have been guilty of that, that the world, the ignorant people of the world, they're not irrational to reach the conclusion that, that Christianity is infested with hypocrisy. So it is God's will for you. You're, I just want to know and do God's will. Here you go, silver platter. By your good works, shut them up. I know shut them up is impolite language, forgive me. Silence them. By your way of life. You want to know what God's will is? That's God's will. Cut and dried. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God. Ooh, I want to do the will of God. What's that? Your sanctification. Your process of becoming more like Jesus. Here specifically, that you abstain from sexual immorality in a culture that wants you to be drowning in it. By the way, human culture has always wanted you to be drowning in it. We've just come up with better tools as the years go by. You want to know and do God's will? Express yourself sexually inside a marriage relationship that's one man, one woman, till death do you part from this day forward. And you are doing God's will. You have to wonder about it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances. Bad ones? Ask Job. Ask James. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He's trustworthy to reveal his will. He's not, gonna, he's not playing, guess which hand my will is in, and if you get it wrong, the other hand is going to pop you in the head. He is trustworthy to reveal his will. Second, he is trustworthy to provide for your needs. Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Wow. What a stunning, magnificent promise because that means when I go to the car lot and, I, and I, I want the red one, not the blue one, God has promised to, who gets to define what's a need? 
What's the underlying thing you better understand before you run around claiming Philippians 4.19? God also will define your every need. He'll supply them according to his riches in glory. But he's not going to supply them based on you defining them. That's got teeth. And if you, if you don't figure that out, you will, you will fall into bitterness toward God for his failure to provide what you said was a need. The corollary truth, by the way, is brace yourself. If he doesn't provide it, it's not a need. If that verse is true, then what he does not provide, you don't get to define as a need. I, I know that can come across a bit ruthless. And I don't mean it to sound sharp. One of my very favorite authors uh, is Dr. Henry Cloud. And in his, I think it's in his book on integrity that I first encountered this short statement from Dr. Cloud. Dr. Cloud says, reality is always your friend. And the reality that God will provide all your needs, but only as he defines them in terms of his promises, that's reality. And that reality is your friend. Because that reality will keep you from bitterness if you go to Publix and the flavor of jelly that you like is out of stock. It'll keep you, for in, keep you from indicting God for not meeting your needs. He's promised to provide your needs. He's promised to preserve your life. He's promised to preserve your life. One of my very favorite moments in the Old Testament. I, I grew up around church. I was, I've joked repeatedly that I was, I was dropped off at the nursery of the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville Beach, Florida, which actually was located between the hospital where I was born and the home where my parents lived. I believe they dropped me off at the nursery there on the way home from the hospital and went and ran some errands. I, 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 am, I am a church brat who grew up to be a church nerd. All my little VBS life, I heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because let's face it, it's one of the great VBS stories because it plays out so dramatically. And for many, 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 many years, I would have said that the, the, the climactic moment in that story, which many of you know, is when the fourth guy turns up in the fire. And I'll give you, that is a whoa moment. But I want to suggest, in, in terms of understanding what's going on in the hearts and minds of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the real climactic moment may come a bit earlier. I've given you Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18. This is after King Nebuchadnezzar has said to them in his oh-so-reasonable voice, Young men, I don't think you've understood 
So I'm going to clarify for you one more time. I'm paraphrasing like a wild man, but I'm not missing the point. I'm going to crank up the band in a moment. See this magnificent statue that the crew put together for me? I'm very fond of it. And I'm going to insist that you be fond of it as well. So what's going to happen? I know you missed the first opportunity, but I'll give you another chance. I'm going to crank up the band again. And when you hear the band, what you're going to do is take a knee and worship the statue of, oh, I don't know, me. And if you don't get it right this time, the statue is made of cast metal of various types. And the furnace where we melted all that metal to cast it is still right over there on standby. I don't think you'll make me do it. We're all reasonable here. By the way, Satan's voice is always reasonable. Jesus, aren't you hungry? Command these stones to be made bread. He's always, oh, so reasonable. Well, crank the band up again. Take a knee with everybody else, won't you? And in one of, I think, the most spectacular victory moments in the whole Old Testament, this ranks right up there with the walls of Jericho to me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. What's about to happen is about to happen, and we don't owe you an explanation for it, but if this be so, that is, if your intent is to throw us in the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, period. Now, if you stop right there, you could get the impression that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are already absolutely in on what's about to happen. If you stop there. But you don't get to stop there. They have said, our God is able to deliver us from your furnace, and he's going to deliver us out of your hand. He might deliver us out of your hand because we go whoosh, and we're done with you. That may be his means, because look what they go on to say. But if not, if we go into that furnace with a predictable whoosh outcome, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I could have worded it, God is trustworthy to preserve your life until he doesn't. That's what I'm saying. You are death proof until the living God says otherwise. And when the living God says otherwise, you are not death proof. He's trustworthy to teach you everything you need to live well. To live well. I love 2 Timothy 3, 16, verse, or 2 Timothy 3, verses 16, 17. We talk about these verses a lot when we talk about the inerrancy of Scripture because all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Read on. In order that, that the man of God may be complete equipped 
for every good work. If you want to know how to live in a way that is defined by the living God as every good work, align with God's word. Align with God's word. Yeah, but Brother Russell, it doesn't tell me whether I should have St. Augustine or Bermuda in my side yard. I tell you what, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. And eternity won't care whether you had Bermuda or St. Augustine in your side yard. His will for you is that you steer clear of sexual immorality, live in gratitude at all times and put to silence ignorant people by the caliber of your life. Obsess on those. He is trustworthy to teach you all you need to live well. He is trustworthy to forgive your sin and one day bring you home. He is trustworthy to forgive your sin and one day bring you home. Colossians 1, verses 21 through 23. And he's talking to believers. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, that is if you ever saved in the first place, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And there are so many other things for which he is trustworthy. Praise God. Praise God. But the final essential truth, essential truth number five God is not trustworthy. And I put this in quotes, lest a screenshot of this show up on the internet somewhere. <laughs> Pastor Russell's lost his mind. He says, God is not trustworthy. So I put irony quotes on it. God is not trustworthy. You've got to be careful here because obedience Obedience to the Lord's will as expressed in his word will often tend to produce better earthly outcomes. Obedience to God's will as expressed in his word will quite often produce better outcomes than rebellion against his word, will. But that is not the primary point of obedience. The primary point of obedience is he's God and I'm not. And I follow him as my Lord or I do not know him at all. And I know that's a, pro that's a fits and starts process that is bumpy and uneven and frustrating for him and for me. If you read Romans 7, all of that being said, he is not trustworthy to give me the money I want. He is not trustworthy to give me the money I want. He just isn't. 
He's not trustworthy to give me the freedom from suffering that I want. He didn't say he would. In fact, he said quite the opposite. I'm trusting God for, be careful. If the rest of that sentence is not something he has directly promised in scripture, you're not doing faith, you're doing presumption. If you're trusting God for things God never promised, oh, that is a dangerous business and it opens the door to extreme bitterness when what you're trusting God for that he never promised fails to materialize and now God has somehow failed you. I can't trust him for the lifespan I want. Brother Russell, you just said he'll preserve life. He will, he preserved Paul's life right up until the point the Roman headsman's ax fell and then he didn't. He told Paul in Corinth, remember? Minister in freedom without fear in Corinth. I have many people in this city you're gonna reach with the gospel and until this mission in Corinth is over, you can't die. In fact, no one will harm you in Corinth. That promise is in Acts 18. At the end of 2 Timothy, he's beheaded by the Roman government. God preserved his life and then God brought him home. I wonder if Paul would have wanted five or 10 or 20 or 30 more years. But God didn't promise Paul five or 10 or 20 or 30 more years. He's not trustworthy to give me the relationships I want. Will your relationships function in a more healthy and effective manner if you're obedient to God's word? Of course they will. Of course they will. Of course they will. But has he promised you successful relationship outcomes? You know, Proverbs, I'm gonna chase this rabbit because I've got a couple minutes. Proverbs are not promises. We have to be very careful with that. Proverbs are bumper sticker statements that express what is generally true. But some of you have trained up a child in the way he should go. And when he got old, he was a thoroughgoing apostate and he died in his sin and it breaks your heart every day. Because God never promised your generation that the next generation would faithfully follow Christ just because you did everything right. Plenty of reason to raise your children with faithfulness and generally Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. I didn't make up the issue of apostate children who die in their sin, and I'm not about to do a show of hands, but I scanned the room, and I know that I could do a show of hands of faithful parents who raised faithless children. And if God promised you otherwise, then you have reason to indict God. But he didn't promise you the relationships that would be the way you want them to be. And it's a fallen world and it's broken. He didn't promise you the career you want. I put that one on here because I teach high school seniors. And they just now finished a paper for me where they're describing some of their future dreams. And some of them, and I didn't, I'm not gonna write a kid back and say, you have lost your mind. 
But instead, what I write back is, wow, that's a big dream. And if they've somehow gotten it in their head that this is the vision God has given them, therefore they know it will come to pass, I'm probably going to pull them in for a one-on-one between now and the end of the school year and see if I can't reset some of their theology so they won't smack a huge disappointing wall when God fails to keep a promise God in fact didn't make. He didn't promise us the political environment we want. I know, I know. And that's true. You may not have the, you may not have the HOA board of directors you want on a micro. You know what? My insurance company some months ago, while my tires and battery were failing, Brother Russell, you need to start tithing and these bad things wouldn't happen to you. Not you're too late. Um, I do, and they did. The, uh, I got a letter from my homeowner's insurance company saying, your roof needs repairing or we're going to drop you like a hot rock. So a guy went up on my roof and looked around, and he came down, and he said, it's not worth repairing. You're 20 years into your 12-year roof, and it shows. So we had to replace the roof. No problem. My HOA has what's called an architectural review committee. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, you've met them. (laughs) I, scouts honor, the shingle type and color I chose is not weird. I am not looking to make a bold artistic statement with my shingles. Six weeks to approve my shingles. My $1,000 deposit with the roofing company sat stale. They couldn't start because, whoa, if I get started on a roof repair before the architectural review committee has approved my colors. So... I am dealing with an onerous political environment in my neighborhood. I understand that for many of you, there are some troubling things going on nationally. And I I hear some really rough stuff happening internationally. And God has not promised that it won't. God is not trustworthy to give me the health that I want. There are ways I can conduct my life that damage myself and ways I can conduct my life that improve my potential for health. But I've had more fun with this fact for years than is fair to the man. I hope he knew Jesus. Jim Fix, the modern father of recreational and health and fitness running, died of a heart attack while running. He was doing everything right and died of a heart attack anyway. God has not promised you that your health issues will work out in the way you want them to. And I know that is serious and I know that that is personal. And there are a lot of other things on my wish list that he has not promised me. (sighs) 
So what do I do with all that? So if God is utterly in charge of his universe, and he is, and he loves me as one of his own, and he does, but he has not committed to give me my way. He has not committed to give me my way. I think two questions come to mind, and with these, I'm done. Though don't get antsy, because these might take a couple of minutes. First question, question number one. How should I react when something that I really, really did not want to happen happens? We built our business on God's principles. We tithed every dollar. We were good to people. We provided a good business. We did everything right according to every book on Christian business principle ever written. And two years in, our business collapsed in a heap and we went bankrupt. I took care of myself with reasonable exercise and disciplined diet. And lo and behold, they told me at age 42, I've got significant heart disease, cancer, Fill in the blank. There's a question I should ask of myself in those moments. Here it is. What has this moment, what has this moment forced me to accept? This is not in your notes. What has this moment may be in your notes. Fleshing this out. What has this moment forced me to accept as reality that I did not already know. It's happened to me, so the sting is worse. I'm going to use a dramatic story that happened some time ago, but it happened on this campus. And if you've got a long institutional memory, like I do, of McGregor, you remember stuff like this. A, six -year -old, a sixth grade boy, we made national news with this, so even if you weren't in Fort Myers, you might remember the story. A sixth grade boy got struck by lightning and killed out on our football practice field back on the back part of our campus. I remember hearing the thunder. I did not know what had happened. I was in my office working. It was a Wednesday evening. But I remember the thunder because it was sounded so close. It sounded like the crack of a very loud hunting rifle just outside my office window. And a sixth grade boy. Terrible. Horrible. Awful thing. But you know what made the difference? As people responded, as people wrestled with that terrible, horrible, awful thing that did happen, did you not already know that in God's sovereign universe of which Florida is a part, 
people get struck by lightning and killed. Is this brand new information to you? Then if it is, then you might never recover from the fact that it actually happened. If it's news to you. But if you have learned in the light truth you need in the dark, you can weep through the tragedy, minister to those who need ministry, love those who are hurting, but not be so completely derailed by the actual catastrophe that you can no longer function. Ladies, guys, that's important. Take your thoughts captive and learn in the light what you're going to need in the dark. I love dogs. I'm using another silly illustration. On an autumn Sunday morning in 2014, a big old goofy yellow lab that we had had since he was a year old. We got him in the summer of three. And before dawn on a Sunday morning in 2014, I know it was Sunday because I had to come to work and function that morning. I laid in the linoleum floor with him at the emergency vet clinic. After dealing with some issues, he had that morning finally and fully lost complete control of the lower half of his body. Everything from his belly down was not working anymore. He couldn't stand no control at all. And if you're a dog owner, you know that moment when he looks you in your eyes and says, it's okay to let me go. You know what? I've got two more dogs living with me, which means I've guaranteed myself that moment is coming again for me times two, unless I die first, which is possible. Why would I do that? when I know how horrible it is to say goodbye. Because I do know that it's coming. And it doesn't, it, it upsets me. I'm sitting here now. But it doesn't destroy my worldview or cause me to think that God has been unfaithful. Which leads us to our second big question. And this is the exclamation point on the evening. This, this spouse is the thing you might want to beat your spouse up with, which you cannot. Thinking biblically, am I prepared to admit to myself and to confess to the Lord the reality of what my worry is really about? Because here it comes. What is worry? In light of the essential truths that I hope I have substantiated biblically, I hope this is not a night where Russell stands up here and makes stuff up. I hope each of the essential truths that I have given you in your notes and on the screens are well supported biblically. Because if they are, then worry leads us to a specific point. What is worry? Here we go. Worry, this is not on the screen. I wasn't going to give this away in your notes. Worry is the fear that God's design for me won't be what I want. 
That's it. Worry is the fear that God's design for me won't be what I want. We're family. I have a medical procedure next Wednesday where I will hopefully take a brief propofol-induced nap while a camera goes to places cameras don't often visit. (laughs) I'm a 60-year-old man. Those go with the territory every so often. My maternal grandfather died of colon cancer, and so we, we send the camera there from time to time. And as I pray about that day and its outcomes, I've been very, very clear with God about how boring I want that test to be. I want the test to be so boring the doctor dozes off while he's doing it. But not for long. I don't have any particular alarming symptoms at this moment. But if I wake up from that propofol nap, God being my witness in front of a few hundred of my friends, if I wake up from that propofol nap and the doctor says, well, at least we caught it before it went to stage four, but you've got stage three colon cancer and we've got some work we've got to do. You know what? That did not teach me anything I didn't already know. People get colon cancer. The Lord is given. The Lord has taken away. The Lord did not promise me that I wouldn't have colon cancer on March 9th, 2022. I have no reason to be bitter. And I will not fear, I will not fear that God's design for me is somehow inferior to my wish list. Which is why the Lord's commands not to worry makes sense. If it's a chaotic universe with nobody in charge and we're all just playing the luck of the draw, be worried. But if God's universe is as he has described it and God's character is as he has described it, then it makes sense when Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Or when, later in the same paragraph, and this is, by the way, Matthew chapter 6, I'm giving you verses 25 and verse 34, the whole paragraph concerns itself with this subject, but I just read the first sentence of the paragraph. The last sentence of the paragraph says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You got enough real stuff you've got to deal with Don't contrive fictional futures in a universe where I'm in charge and then get yourself all torqued up about them. The Apostle Paul adds this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and I'm done. Do not be anxious about anything. Some scriptures are difficult because they're so complex and mysterious, and I don't know what he's saying. Do not be anxious about anything. Yeah, but no, go back to the essential truths I've given you. I'm your your brother and your friend and your shepherd. Go back to those essential truths and do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
and the peace of God, which by the way is not a reliable indicator that you have found God's will. But it is a reliable outcome as an alternative to worry. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That is, it is a peace that is better than the peace you would get if all you had was understanding. That's what that means. The peace of God. Doesn't mean it's peace so good you can't understand it. No, 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 no. It means peace that is superior to that peace you would get if you had all the facts. It's better than having all the facts. The peace of God, which surpasses all mere understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It's bad out there. Don't worry. Don't worry. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? At least all things that matter eternally. Thank you for listening to this special McGregor podcast, part two of Thinking Biblically About Worry. 